You know, we sing songs in the church. There's an army rising up. Someone heard this in certain parts and took it out of context. They'd be concerned, wouldn't they? You know, I've talked about over the last many weeks about in the series on Watchmen, and I've talked about walls and weapons and kingdoms. I do want to clarify to you today that this series is not about a political statement. It is not about immigration. It is not about the Second Amendment. It is not about a new government that we want to overthrow the old one. This is about mostly things unseen. This is about putting a wall up and tearing down walls. What's, what's funny in the, the church, we talk about tearing down walls and putting up walls. We've got to figure out which ones we need to be doing. There are walls that need to be tore down. But there are walls that we talk about, obviously metaphorically, we talk about of around your family. You need to know what you're letting in and out. You need to know around your heart and your soul what you're letting in and out. So just want to make sure you don't walk out of here today, or if you just get a sound bite or 140 characters, and all of a sudden you think that we are preaching politically, but here's the great thing about it. As we begin to live in here, our country and our community will be different. But they'll be glad. They'll be glad. Like I've said before, if the gospel of Jesus Christ and you receive it for what it is and the life of Christ into your life, and if it's good news for you, it should be good news for your family because of what happened to you. It should be good news for your neighborhood. It should be good news for your community because you're different. All of a sudden, you're living in a different way. It should be good news. It should be. John 10.10 10 tells us, Jesus speaking here, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. To have it abundantly. John Eldridge says in his book, Waking the Dead, he said, before Jesus promised us life, he warned that a thief would try to steal, kill, and destroy. I love this question. How come then We don't think that the thief actually steals, kills, and destroys. You won't understand your life. You won't see it clearly what has happened to you or how to live forward from here unless you see it as a battle, a war against your heart. A war against your heart. And you're going to need your whole heart for what's coming next. He said, there are a few things I know, and one thing I do know is this. We don't see things as clearly as we ought to, as we need to. We don't understand what's happening around us or to us or those we love, and we are practically clueless when it comes to the weight of our own lives and the glory that's being held back. 
And we've talked about the word glory. It's the, the Greek word doxa. What it means is, is the, it's the representation of God to the world. It's the illusion as if God was, as if Adam was in the garden. When they saw Adam, they were supposed to believe they were seeing God. Because he was so close and such in this pure image of God that they would almost get him confused. What if I tried to convince you this morning that there's more going on around you right now than you can really see? Or maybe there's more going on around you than you really want to see. Have you ever been in circumstances and truly believe in that moment there was more going on in those moments than you could see? There was a heaviness, there was a weight, there was something happening. I guarantee you I have. Why did Jesus include this line in the Lord's Prayer? And if you're new or haven't been or new to even the whole idea of Christianity, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that was asked by the disciples, said, Jesus and the disciples, those are the guys that were following him, and they asked the question, Jesus, how, do, how shall we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he goes through, then he gets to the end of it. And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? The evil one. And you see, deliver, lead us not into temptation, okay. But deliver us from the evil one. Why would he include that phrase? As a phrase, and again, if Jesus knows everything, he, he, I'm assuming he knew that there were going to be football teams and SEAL teams, six teams, who are going to be praying this prayer someday and have no clue who he is. They're going to be praying this in locker rooms someday. They're going to be praying this in city halls and government places someday. These are going to be prayed for people go out on military exercises someday. And somehow or another... Deliver us from the evil one. Seems odd to some degree, except I believe this, and I'm convinced of this. Jesus was trying to expand our vision. I believe part of why Jesus, not only did he believe it, but also he's going, there's a larger stage going on here, by the way. There's a larger something. There's a bigger drama going on around you than you want to engage. That you even know is happening right now. Now, some of you this morning are hearing this and going, especially if you're, if you're new to church, you're coming here going, okay, these guys are a little, a little whacked. <laughs> There's this, you're, you're believing, is it ghost? Well, no, it's not that. It's a supernatural, and we'll talk about it more here in a minute. There's a supernatural realm, the word says. But what about this evil one, though? Jesus took him serious. And obviously, to say this and make sure you understand what I'm saying here, most of us have enough vices in our life 
the sinful nature that we are born with that is bent away from God, and the Holy Spirit comes to try to straighten it back up, but we're bent away from God. we got enough of that in us to probably do our own damage without Satan even messing with us. <laughs> but when you, especially when it's the things of God, and you begin to be, be brought back to alignment with what you're what your original purpose was and your original plan God had for you, when that begins to happen and the love of God begins to wash over you and all of a sudden begins to come out of you to a a world that needs it so bad, the battle is on. Now, we all have a sinful nature that, again, on our own, we're bad enough. (laughs) Just left to our own vices. You ever put a face on evil? Hitler... Charles Manson, Osama bin Laden, ISIS. Uh, I throw those names out, and, and, and I'd say for most people in this room, I'm, I'm, I think I can, I'd say probably maybe everybody, those are things that come to your mind when I throw those names out there. But you know what? You can eliminate all those, and evil's still here, right? <laughs> you can take all those out, and evil still exists. See, Satan's greatest advantage, I believe, is that many people don't believe he exists. See, over the centuries, there has been this kind of fun little caricature, if you want to call it, or this cartoon that we make of the enemy. With horns, maybe, and a tail, and a pitchfork, and he's red, and so it almost makes it kind of funny, not a superhero, I wouldn't go there, but it makes it kind of normal. And the biggest thing is, if we can just come to the point where it's kind of either kind of funny or kind of a something, oh, I really don't believe in it because it's a, it's a cartoon, or one, I just don't even want to believe any of that exists. If you do that, you're leaving out from Genesis to Revelation, In the garden. Go read Revelation see what happens. It's all in between. I think there's 40 different names used for Satan in Scripture. Adversary. Accuser. Father of lies. The thief. The ruler of this world. Jesus dealt with him in the wilderness 40 days. And we'll talk more about it next week because we know what Jesus did when he dealt with him, how he dealt directly with the enemy of Satan when he came to him. We know what that is, and we'll talk more about it next week. But Paul writes about it. Peter writes about it. But we seem to never really talk about it in the church. 1 Peter 5, 8-11 Be self-controlled. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And alert. Wake up from your slumber. (laughs) Your enemy. Your adversary. Your opponent, if you will. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing, our brothers around the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ 
after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is heavy this morning. And why it's heavy is, I know we can walk in here week in, week out, And know that the love of God saves me and we want that. And we can talk about that and we will talk about that before we finish today. But if you don't grasp the idea this is a grander stage you're on, you're pretty limited on how this will work out in your daily life. Ephesians 6 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, you've got to stop a second, don't you? Okay, what's that? Why am I about to change gears here? Why am I changing all of a sudden? I've just made a statement. I've just described something to you. So now that you grasp that, that's what's going on, Paul is saying. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, 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 stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, with this in mind. In other words, what I just said here, take all that into account, package that up. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all of God's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I, may, I will fearlessly make known, I love this, the mystery of the gospel. See why this is all kind of, oh, this is weird. I don't, it's, there's a mystery attached to it. There's a mystery. All we want, everybody wants something tangible. Just show me, prove it, prove it. There's a mystery to this. For which I'm an ambassador we're all ambassadors, right? We've talked about that. We know that. In change, pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. No fear. He could have started a slogan, made T-shirts. No fear. The battle we fight. It's the reason why... The battle we fight is not against flesh and blood. I'm going to hopefully talk more about this next week, but it's a reason why I can watch people spewing vile things and it can even be about something I personally hold dear. I can hear that. I can hear the spewing. I can hear them cursing it. I can hear them slandering it. I can hear them, whatever it is, spitting on it. I can hear vile things. But one thing I keep coming back to, this fight is not against flesh and blood. 
So I pray. I ask God to give me a heart for that person. Because they're working at a disadvantage because they don't have the Spirit of God working in them. Breaks my heart for them. I want God to break my heart for what breaks his heart. And I believe people who are away from him break his heart. So if that's breaking his heart, then I need to be having my heart broke for that, right? Don't you think? So if my fight is not against flesh and blood, i got to identify my enemy. Because for what we would call enemy, tangible enemies, people we physically see, whether the person on the interstate that you feel like you're in competition with, whatever, and, or wherever it is, the Word says, what does Jesus ultimately say? You're going to love your enemies. Well, I didn't like that part. I'm gonna actually going to love the flesh and blood, but i got to be able to identify the enemy for what it really is and then fight there. i got to fight there, the unseen. Sometimes it comes out in the scene, no question about that. We know that. So let's delve off into that just for a moment. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. The heavenly realm. That's that that and I don't even know what all that means. And again, there's a mystery to all this. I don't know how to see that. Now I've seen manifestations of some of those things. But what it's a I think clear in scripture, it's it's referring to this vast array of evil and malicious spirits who make war against the people of God or the or the outcomes that the people of God are working towards. And the terms rulers and authorities, and I'm going to go back and forth a little bit here. I could have used the New King James or King James because there's some words that they, that King James Version uses I really like. I'm going to mention that in just a minute. But rulers and authorities, think about this. People who exert opinion over things. Wherever they are, uh, whether it's from a home all the way to the, 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 the Oval Office, there are people in position of exerting opinions or wills on things. Now, in ancient times, going back to the walls, at the city gates, that's where those guys sat. They sat there most of the day, and they would make decisions. They'd make decisions in and out. And, and decisions were made right there at the city gate. But today we see it in city hall, the courts, Congress. The reason why you hear me encouraging, you go, why, why did you, you, you may have had a different opinion on our, our, our presidents, whether the one now or the one we just had or the ones before. I pray this over them, and I'm really now praying it even, even more detailed, more specific. Lord, give them sight. Do not let them be blind. Give them spiritual sight. Lord, give them wisdom slash discernment that only comes from you. And Lord, let them be bold. And not shrink back. Not cocky, not arrogant, but bold for the good of all of us. So we need to be praying for those who are in authority. But also, there's, there's authorities in your home that are making decisions for that home. There's places at your business. Are you praying for your owners? Are you praying for those who make decisions? powers, we would even use the word strongholds, 
Because a stronghold, and we know it in a military term, and we'll talk more about that maybe next week, but, but maybe mention at the end, I don't know. But, you know, Scripture uses military terms a lot. It uses athletic terms a lot. And, but a fortress and, and a stronghold normally, and again, a stronghold can be good too, but a stronghold in this sense is a place where the enemy has dug in, and if he's ever going to be removed out, it's not just going to be by a shot over the head. It's going to be a battle to remove that stronghold. It's the kind of evil that's assigned the best I can understand to certain sins. Sometimes, and this is what I like about the King James, as I studied that these authorities, and we can see it in, in, especially in the Old Testament, we see these authorities or powers have a predominant influence over a geographical area. Now think about this. New King James says principalities, means a prince, means, means a ruler, but a palady is geography or demography. So if things are going on in the spiritual realm, I know you, I hope you're following me, but if things are going on in the spiritual realm, think about this. What if a certain sin can be assigned to a certain location in the heavenly realms? What if a certain sin, what if a certain stronghold, if you will, can be assigned to a certain country? Or to a certain family. We go from Las Vegas to San Francisco to Sedona. I wonder if. Because something else is going on if Scripture's right. And I have... I have to believe it. I know it's a mystery. The gospel is, but this whole thing is a mystery. I don't know how it works, but if it's right. And this is not the only place it mentions. It mentions it throughout the New Testament. And Old Testament talks about the angels. I, I can't remember which one it is, but it talks about we had to fight. How come, there was a, there, and again, I'm, 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 I'm missing it right here, but there's this, this story about the angel was coming and he had to wrestle his way there. He said, I had to fight those and fight those before I could show up here. Now we can go, I want to leave out of here today and think, that's a nice little story. Actually, it wasn't very nice. Matter of fact, it wasn't very nice, but you can walk out of here today and go, okay, it doesn't exist. You tell people, I could take a, a rebellious teenager that everybody knew was rebellious. They would admit they were rebellious. I could take one teenager and take them into, I, I believe, take them to a thousand teenagers and only one other rebellious teenager, they're going to find each other. You know why? Because it's a spirit, spiritual thing, as DC Talk used to say. It's a spiritual thing. Why do adulterers find each other? How did they find each other? Because they looked into the souls, the window. Addictions. Were there any forces for us? (laughs) Well, angels are mentioned from Genesis to Revelation over 250 times. I love what Elijah says in 2 Kings 6.17. And he's saying to his servant, they're concerned about, they're about to get wiped out because 
It was just them, and there's this big army. And, 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 and Elijah says, Lord, let him see that those who are with us are more than those against us. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. As I read Scripture, whatever, whatever power the evil forces may possess, they are still under the control of the creator and ruler of the universe. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave you all your sins. Amen? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. But I love this. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. He made a public spectacle of them. The cross did it. I'm going to do that one more time. The cross did it. What happened on the cross, the death and resurrection disarmed. Okay, can you imagine in the heavenly realms, if you believe that, can you imagine what they thought in that moment when they nailed Jesus to the cross? Can you imagine the conversation that was going around in the, around in the heavenly realm and all of a sudden they find out, uh-oh, we just played into his hand. His death was not the end. The death was the beginning. We messed up. That's what I think the conversation would have been. What does he go on to say? Stand. He says stand four times. We read it in 1 Peter. He said stand. Christ wants us to stand. Christ wants us to be victorious. When you pray, deliver us from the evil one, folks, this is not standing on the sidelines. This is not being a... Remember, we've talked about watch. As a watchman, is not a spectator sport. It's not like what you're going to do this afternoon and watch the Super Bowl. It is not about sitting on the sideline. Watch, literally, in the translation the word is giving us, is mean, it means you've got to be in the fight. You have to be. I love what the Strong's says that the definition of stand here is in the Greek. It's one who does not hesitate. Does not waver. Who perseveres. One who vanquishes his adversary and holds the ground. If you're unsure about all this, I guarantee you're going to waver. You're going to waver. It's a matter of living with a made-up mind, but it's going to take work. It's going to take you getting the information you need to stand. What are you standing against? The Word says against the devil's schemes. Scheme literally meaning deceit or trickery. 
See, I believe from all the beginning, if you look at history, God has continued to raise up people who begin to see the devil's schemes, begin to see it in a way you're going, wow, if I had not been looking, if I had not asked for great eyesight, spiritual eyesight, if I had not asked for great wisdom and discernment, if I had not asked for boldness to make the decision once I got the information, my family would be in trouble. See, I realize, and I think all of us do, we have to realize I don't know what I don't know till I don't know it. I didn't realize I didn't know it till I found out I didn't know it. But I'm asking the Lord and saying, Lord, help me to know what I need to see. Help me to know what I need to know. I'm putting a lot of junk and information in my head that makes one, not one hill, hill of bean difference. That's it. Not one hill of bean difference in the scheme of life. I'm getting information in my head about stats, about who's going where, about who's signed with who. I'm getting stats, but I don't have enough information about battling for my family. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, got to go back and read 11. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, that is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So John 12, 31 says, he is... The enemy has been, he's called the ruler of this world. In other words, he has tremendous influence over what's going on in this world in a limited capacity, limited by God. Somehow or another, I have no idea how all that works. His rule and influence Encompasses the world's philosophies, education, the way we do business, does all that. But I love what Strong's also goes on to say about the word conform. It says, no longer conform to the pattern of this world. And I can't, I'm not even going to try to give you the name or I'd, I'd butcher it so bad. But it is the word conform is where we get the word schematic in English. Schematic are those drawings that we get that our architect shows you what it will look like from the outside. Like you go to a mall and you see where all the stores are. It's a schematic of that, okay? Let's see it up there. Yeah, you go and you, you go to a mall and you see the schematic. That's the schematic drawing. You kind of see where everything is. But guess what? It doesn't show you how to put the plumbing in. It doesn't show you where to put the electricity. It doesn't show you any of that, does it? It just shows you the outside appearance, gives you some good information. But this is what it looks like on the outside. But guess what the word... We're asked to do morpho, to be transformed, to be changed. And it literally here means the blueprint. See, a contractor, the original, he doesn't care. I mean, maybe he cares about the other part. He doesn't care as much about the schematic and what it will look like on the outside at this point. He cares about what the details are going to be on the inside. The world's concerned about appearances. 
and would like for us to be more concerned about our outward show. Showed you a graph last week, George Barna from Maximum Faith talking about believers. It goes through the 10 levels or whatever that's called. I don't know how you want to rate it. I don't know if we have it. Have that slide. There it is. And the first five, as I said, I shared with you last week, ignorance of the con- concept of existence of sin, aware and indifferent to sin, concerned about the implication of personal sin, confess sins and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior, commitment to faith activities. Barnum would say it's where most people stay. Then we go to six, experience prolonged periods of spiritual discontent. And what happens is it's the wilderness. It's that space where you're not sure where God is in all of it. You're not sure and you feel far away from God, but God's allowed that time to happen so you'll search after him and you'll hunger after him. And what happens in that, you experience personal brokenness. Choosing to surrender and submit fully to God, a radical dependence on God, enjoying a profound intimacy with and love for God, and experience a profound compassion and love for humanity. He would say, go back to the other slide, please, if you would. Most people live there. Scheme. It's a scheme. To say, that's all right, guys. And when you get in this alienation where you're going to have to trust God for something, you're going to have to hang on, and you're going to have to battle for something, don't turn around. Let God break you and move you forward. But what we do is we start rolling back down the hill, and before we know it, if we're not careful, we don't just go back to five. We'll go all the way back to one. Some of you are in this room right now at two or one, and you used to be down there lower, and you know it. You know it. So you've justified, you've bought into the scheme that this is all right. I think Barna's right on the money. Let's flip the next real quick. I told you last week, I believe I've reached my point where I'm working between 7 and 8. I don't have 9 and 10 figured out yet, but that's my desire. That's where I want to live. David Needham says this. He said, what could be more frustrating than being a Christian who primarily thinks himself as a self-centered sinner, yet whose purpose in life is to produce God-centered holiness? I don't have to know everything, but I better know what I need to know. My family depends on this. My community depends on me needing to know what I need to know. I don't need to know everything. But I need to—I know this. I need to have sight to see that I could never see before. I need to have wisdom and discernment that it didn't just come by me reading a book somewhere and getting more intellectually, you know, you know, uh, progressing in my intellectual. I got to have wisdom and discernment. But I love what Romans eight says: well, we are more than conquerors. We can be, because no force. No life, no death, no angels, no demons, none can separate us from the love of God. Yesterday, I had the opportunity 
with my family to celebrate my mom's 90th birthday in the, in the city of Dequeen, Arkansas. How many of you know where Dequeen, Arkansas is? That's what I thought. Okay, some of you did. There you go. My mom and dad were, were married in February 1946. And it's kind of hard to see the lights are a little bright there, probably. But uh, that's been about 20 years ago, probably, when we took that picture. But my mom and dad... That my dad passed away about six years ago, but yesterday we had the opportunity to, to uh, spend time with part of my family. My mom uh, had some health issues just last year, but we went back there, and go ahead and go to the next slide. And uh, well, it's hard, again, hard to see some of it. My, my, my five siblings and my mom there, and then next slide. And my clan with seven of us were back there. It was six plus one. <laughs> the, the, some of our others, are the ten of us now in our family, our immediate family, didn't get all go back. And then there's the next picture. And again, I can't think you can see it very well, but it's 34 people there. But what I want to tell you here real quick is this. 1978, our family, I'll be honest with you, was a disaster. There was 18 immediate family members in my family. My mom and dad, some of their kids were, some of their, my siblings were married. I was a senior in high school at the big city of Wicks, Arkansas. And I get a phone call one day, my brother and he tells me, and this is, I told him, I said, I, you are terrible at learning how to do things. He called me at school, and they called me to the office, and he goes, Kurt, I just need to tell you, mom and dad are separated and probably getting a divorce. Could that not have waited until after school? <laughs> how did that just happen? <laughs> but that's exactly how he broke it to me. I had no clue there was any problems. I knew there were problems with me. I knew there were problems with most of my siblings, <laughs> except my littlest one. I had no idea there was problems between my mom and dad. And so marching at that time then towards divorce. At that time, I think there were four Christians really in the family that we knew about. Of course, a lot of kids were younger, so we don't know how about all that. But there were 18 immediate family members at that time. My mom and dad just was barreling towards that, and that's what was going to happen. And I don't know all the story, but all I know is at that time, mom and dad were Christians, and then I had a brother and his wife, but they were going to go through a horrible divorce over the next few years that would just be devastating to them and ripples for a long time. But my mom and dad made a decision, and I don't know what all went into it, that they were going to stay together. And what I looked at, I told Jan, they were 32 years into their marriage. 32 years. That's exactly where Jan and I are right now. 32 years in. 32 years into the marriage. They made a decision, I believe, all wrapped around what God wanted to do in their life and begin to live in a different way. Today, there's 68 of us. And out of those 68, well over 60 of those, I would believe, and I don't know about everybody, and it could be all of them, are serving the Lord. At that time, very few of us. And I don't know all that went into it, but what I do know is this. In life, you've got chances to make ripples. You've got chances when you throw that water, when you throw that rock into the pond, you can make a little bitty ripple and your whole life just be a little bitty ripple. I hope you don't decide to live that way. It could be a bigger ripple. Or it can be a really big ripple. So 
Stood there yesterday looking at our family and reflecting on everybody. My dad prayed for every one of us every day till he passed away. By name, called out to the Lord for us every day. The decisions you're making right now and not understanding the schemes will have ripples for generations. Generations. Not just next week, folks. Generations. And I'm going to tell you right now, in that group right there, there are people that have been devastated. There are people who have had addictions, and we know it. I mean, in our family. We know that's all there. I don't know what your story is today. We've probably lived most of it. There's PTSD inside of that story. I'm telling you, it's all in there. But somebody made a decision. I don't know what your excuse is why you're not wanting to be a big ripple in the right way. Because that ripple could have been a terrible ripple. But instead, she gets to see those children in a whole different light. Because of a decision by her and my dad. You can find all kinds of excuses to quit. You just can Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. I'm going to ask the guys to come on down as we go to communion. I love what he says. And this is Eugene Peterson from the message. Is that about wraps it up? God is strong and he wants you to be strong, so take everything the master has set up for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws at you. And I love this part because it's on Super Bowl Sunday. This is not an afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from it and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. You have just entered a war zone. See, this is not a test that you're going to take and a syllabus to complete at some point and you go, okay, I passed that test, thank goodness. You've got a mission. You've got a mission. I love what Irving McManus, I was listening to him this week, and I love what he said. He said, the reward of winning a great spiritual battle is a greater battle. <laughs> so some of you have never won the first one. You've decided to excuse it all and keep sliding back down the chart. But I love what he says. It said the reason why you have a greater battle because you are no longer in fear of what you used to fear. Or what you, you no longer fear what you used to fear because you took care of that yesterday. And if you're not in any battle right now, if you're not, I would question how much you even trust God. I'll just say it. Because that's where you learn to battle. Would you stand with me as we go to our time of communion today? Next week, we're going to get into the full armor of God and putting on the pieces of armor. But I want you to read with me. We're going to read Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Read with me, please. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, 
he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As you come today around communion, we're going to read one more. As you come today, it's good for me as I was yesterday remembering of what God has done in our family. But greater than that is what we sang this morning, is that I never forget I'd be lost without him. Where we are today as a family, as our family, and again, it's just one story about all the stories that are in this room. Everybody can get up here and preach and tell your story. But it is one story that I can guarantee you without Christ we'd have been lost and the ripples would have been different. I want to live a life where those ripples go a long, long way. I want to be a big rock. <laughs> and I hope you know I understand it from a humble way that, that what, how I live my life will make those kind of ripples. So we're going to come here in just a minute and we're going to read one more scripture and you, if you will, as we come for communion. The way we do it here, if you're here for the first time, you'll just come down this aisle from this side, these two, and these over here come down this aisle, if you would, and you'll take the bread, dip it in the cup here, and partake of it here, and return to your seat, if you would. Or, and then, if you can't make it down here, we've got some folks in the back, if you just raise your hand that you can't make it down front, we've got some uh, cups that we can do that with, too. But the last one I want us to read before we go. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Let's do it together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Lord, help us now as we partake as a family, as a community of the elements. And Lord, I pray today that the words from song, the shaking of hands across the room, the words of your servant, to try to do our best to help people remember the fight we're in, but remember that we are more than conquerors in you because what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for this time, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus.